Salam, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Say Wella, the podcast from your MuslimGirl.com editors. My name is Hadil, and I'm the producer of this podcast and social media editor here at Muslim Girl. So let's talk a little bit about what this podcast is exactly. It's like your group chat come to life, but with influential Muslims, allies, problematic faves, and woke bays, of course. And we're going to be talking about contemporary issues that really relate to our communities today and spilling some tea or whatever, because what is a podcast without tea? So if you're into that kind of thing, which we know you are, make sure you go ahead and subscribe to support us. So today we're going to be talking to Nabella Noor, who is literally the sweetest person on the face of this planet. If you don't know who she is, I don't know how that's possible, but Nabella is a YouTuber and influencer, and she has done so much for the Muslim community, the body positivity community through her platforms, and so much more. So I'll let her speak for herself. I'm going to call her in a minute. And Amani, who of course doesn't need an introduction, you guys already know her and love her, she will be calling as well. So we wanted to say thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Nabella. Thank you so much for coming on. Hello. Thank you for having me. Why don't we start with with Instagram? When did you start it? Why? Oh my goodness. I started my Instagram right like around the time that my YouTube, um, I was doing my YouTube videos and stuff like that. And I just uh, saw people were using Instagram as another like platform and so I just started to post and just share like a little bit of glimpses of my life and then it kind of became its own platform that grew and grew and had its own power and its own influence that made me really excited I think visually speaking people you know were really intrigued by this like what I was doing and what I'm what I'm about and 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 just being unapologetically myself and sharing a glimpse into my life I think it was a really uh, great move for me to have multiple platforms that kind of focused on um different things I think I there's a lot more fashion and beauty on my Instagram there's a lot more of just me rocking new styles and, and without any you know apology and just kind of loving the skin that I'm in and then on YouTube you really see a glimpse of like my family and uh, more of my personality so yeah it just became another another medium to connect with my audience yeah I mean I know when I first found you it felt like you gave me permission to just love whatever body I was in as like cliche as that sounds um yeah, it just it felt incredible to see someone um, love themselves so much, uh, especially in like a world on social media, on Instagram, on YouTube, to just like say, I don't I don't care about that. Nabella, um, I don't know if you mentioned when you started exactly. Oh, my goodness. I can't even I, I don't even know. <laughs> I have to look. But I mean, I think I was going and tr- doing Instagram like for real, for real, it's been like two, I, 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 I can't even say, it's been a few years, um, but I've been kind of doing Instagram and treating it like its own platform very seriously for over a year now, um, and it's been something that I've really like nurtured, and I just think it's it's one thing to, to talk about the need to representation, the need for body diversity, the need to love the skin that you're in, and then it's another thing to have a platform where I'm showing myself do it, right? So that's what my Instagram kind of became, is like, I'm not just going to talk about it, I'm going to be about it. Watch me wear what I want to wear and, and love the skin that I'm in. Watch me, you know, join me in doing that. So it became its own place for us to really walk in that movement rather than just talk about it. Amani, I know you just hopped onto this call, but what are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm so curious because right now we're in this moment where I feel like Instagram is democratizing the beauty space and the fashion space and it's just putting so many different women from so many different backgrounds and body types and skin colors and all of that on the same playing field Um, and it's kind of like shifting the industry too but I'll get to that in a sec but with your story of how you you know really got started with Instagram and stuff I'm really curious you know, if initially when you when you started, did you see other women that looked like you? And if not, was that intimidating in any way for you to start, like, to be that person, especially since Instagram is so visible and really putting yourself out there like that? Um, yeah, no, I, I, it wasn't 
being, I, I feel like I belong to so many communities. So therefore it became tougher and tougher to see someone like me because I'm Muslim. I'm from Bangladesh. I'm a first generation American and I'm plus size. So there's so many things that, you know, there's so many areas that I wish to feel seen and wish that my community is represented. So it became something where I really was not seeing it. So I just needed to be it, you know? And, um, that became that became really my goal was let me create content that I wish to see. Let me let me wear the things that I wish I saw, you know, was was accepted. And let me let me love myself in the way that I wish people would tell me that that it was okay or tell me that that's you know let me define beauty for myself. So all of those things was just like I'm not seeing it, so I'm doing it. I mean, like obviously, um, it's been super positively received, but. I'm really curious to know about um, the other side of things. Like, how was it dealing with the clear backlash that I'm sure you got? Yeah, I think I'm living in uh, I'm living in multiple spaces that, and, and and I belong to so many different communities. So reception is different. Like the response is different for each community. So I have found that overall, it's very positive. Overall, I'm very much uplifted and empowered in my audience. They really do support and love me. But on the flip side, you know, people are, people can be a little threatened by someone unapologetically loving themselves. People can also just not like that I'm not subscribing to the same standards that they are. And that's really tough for them. Hell yeah. Yeah, they're living in the confines of a certain uh, definition of beauty. They're living within the prison of so many rules, so many standards that they have to live up to. And I'm saying, hey, no, I'm going to unchain myself. And that can be tough for someone that's still living in those, you know, metaphorical chains. So it can sometimes be a little jarring for people. What was the hardest? What was the hardest chain? Um, I think the being plus sized and not being and wearing what I wanted to wear was really tough for a lot of people because it's like we have these sets of rules like bikini body right what is a bikini body or you know this is flattering for this body type or this is what you should wear if your body is like this and what I'm essentially doing is tossing all those things to the wind and I'm saying I'm gonna wear what makes me feel beautiful and that might be completely different someone else has been taught their whole life is beautiful and that was a really um, tough one. I think people telling me you look horrible in this, or you're fat, or you're ugly, or or you're promoting obesity. And by and when they say that, oh my god, that's yeah. the worst narrative to push. The promoting of obesity thing, like that's so ill-informed and so annoying. It's really sad because what it, what it basically what they're basically telling me is, how dare you smile and be happy in the skin that you're in? You should be apologizing every single day for looking the way you look. Yeah. yeah. I cannot put myself in a closet and wait until I fit society's standards of beauty to then come out and be like, oh, I love myself. That's just not what I'm choosing to do with my life. People really, it's almost like, it's almost like sometimes when people tell me you're promoting obesity or you are um, doing something so harmful for people by by telling them it's okay to love themselves. what, What they're really essentially saying to me is, you should be apologizing for how you look. You should be sorry that you look this way. You should not be smiling and telling people that it's okay. That's wild to me. And and, and, and it's just, it's like you said, very ill-informed. And it's so clearly not about health whatsoever because if you're skinny, no one cares. Like no one, it's, it's oh suddenly gosh. like a personality trait to love food. It's suddenly like a yeah. personality trait to love food. Yeah, you see it on Twitter, like the the, the skinny of the thinner body with a big pie of pizza taking a really Tumblr-esque photo. Yeah. That's cool. That's cute. Get me a girl like that, you know? But then, and that narrative is hard to play because, you know, she's aesthetically what we have been trained to believe is beautiful. But then, if yeah. some, like, it's sad when I can't post a photo of me eating a burger without someone saying, see X, Y, and Z, something negative. But I know that a counterpart, that a peer of mine who's thinner can post a burger and make a witty little caption and it mean something completely, it'd be, um, it'd be digested completely differently. I'm also curious because like you're also a brown woman and you're very right. out there with your culture. You take so much pride in it. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm wondering, you mentioned that you occupy so many different spaces. So I'm wondering also like in addition to 
the challenges you experience as you know a plus size woman I hate using that term but like on Instagram a person that is about like loving your body and embracing it how does that you know the the type of hate that you get from that does it also cross over with your religious or racial identity as well like how does that play out in terms of you know just being a brown woman there there's that narrative of like you know, we need to look beautiful or we won't find a partner. We need to be beautiful for our husband or or um, we need to be skinny or don't eat too much or don't eat that. Or, and there's just so much that I had to deal with growing up um, that I help people kind of navigate through with my platform now. But I still definitely do get a lot of backlash for, you know, my body and, and, and being confident in it. And then in terms of religiously, I think that I do make decisions that can be quite, you know, that, that are not for everybody, especially in the Muslim community. I, I You'll find a photo of me in shorts. You'll find a photo of me in a shorter, a shorter dress. And it's, I think it's tough because, you know, I understand people wanting me to be their, their version of what a, a good Muslim role model is. But for me... My my walk with my faith is totally personal, and it's always been something where I am the first one to say I'm a proud Muslim American. But let's let's not then um, make it as though how I navigate my life as a Muslim is something that's open for discussion or debate. Because honestly, I think that it's something so personal, and we should respect one another and how we navigate through our spiritual journey. But at the same time. I mean, the last presidential election, I literally was involved with the with um, one of the uh, debates. I asked Donald Trump an important question about, you know, how he would treat, how he would combat uh, Islamophobia if he was elected president. He didn't show up to said debate, so then Jeb Bush answered the question. And I dealt with so much backlash as a Muslim American for being on Fox News asking a controversial question about Islamophobia to uh, Republican presidents. Wow. So I'm willing and able and ready to stand up for my community and I'm a proud Muslim however how I walk in that journey is entirely my own to explore you know yeah Amani I feel like you deal with that a lot too is like people being obsessed with how Muslim you are what kind of Muslim you are like what you're doing like like in your comments I see it all the time people are like oh your nails oh your tattoos like people seem to be obsessed with it because you're a public face like Nabella yeah, no, I think that Nabella put it in the perfect terms, actually, that it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to claim that identity, and I, I want to do right by it. I want to represent, like, my community and my background and, and take great pride in it, but the way that I choose to implement that into my daily life is on, it should be on my own terms. Yes. Um, and I feel like, yeah, especially when people, when it's Muslim women in the public space, um, there, there's this feeling of like claim over that Muslim woman to the community. We don't see that for men, would you say? And in, in Muslim men in Hollywood or in even the public eye do not undergo that same level of scrutiny that I feel as though Muslim women in the public eye do. But I do think that it's like also, yeah, by virtue of being a woman, right? And this is, it's an experience that women across the board have to deal with, like that double standard, that increased scrutiny, like the policing of women in public spaces. But by far, by far, women of color really are susceptible to it, um, you know, in society today more than anybody, really. You know, to me, it's really about putting, you know, women of color, like keeping them in their place, basically, right? Like reminding them what the status quo is, reminding them, like, you know, what's expected of them and to not step outside of those lines. And it translates in so many different spaces from, you know, fashion and beauty, social media and Instagram to real life. And it's, it's just crazy to me. I mean, especially as a woman that wears a hijab, it, it's like a public identifier of my faith. So, like, even, you know, intensifies that, you know. And I'm sure you get the same, Nabella, like when you're putting on your, your cultural dress and people are visibly identifying you as that. And they're just like, oh, like, they have... Do they, pre- do they try to project some type of, like, specific image onto you of, like, what, like, how you should carry yourself in the public space by extension? Yeah, I definitely think so, especially when I'm doing something that many people are not agreeing with. They're like, you know, you're a horrible representation of our community, whichever one that that is, right? Um, and it's, it's a lot of 
putting those expectations that have been placed on them onto me. And I want to free people from all expectations, except <laughs> for the ones that kind of live up to uh, You know? So it's, it's really... I love that. Yeah, it's really sad when I undergo those sorts of, um, like, that sort of scrutiny and that sort of criticism. But I've also understood that people are all just seeing things through the lens of what they're taught. And what, and so to try to help people unlearn some of the things that are maybe holding them captive is what I want to do with my life, mm-hmm. you know? And so I'm okay with navigating through tough conversation. I'm okay with someone saying to me something that they think that's completely opposite of what I think and hopefully us finding a middle ground or at least respecting that we might not agree but that we can coexist. And that's super important to me. And to the point of... Um, you know, just uh, Muslim men in the space versus Muslim women in the space, or rather than the experience for Muslim women in the space, for the longest time when everyone, you know, like, thought Zayn Malik was Muslim, um, that was, like, it didn't matter anything that he did, because... Yeah, yeah nothing so matters. True. Everyone was so like, yeah, JGG. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, like, French Montana. Had- Everyone's like, yes, yeah. baby, drink what you want to drink, smoke what you want to smoke. Oh, my God, yes. Like, you know, all he would have to do is tweet maybe the occasional Eid Mubarak, and everyone was finally like, yes, you know, and, and that was, um, yeah, that's good enough. And I can, you know, try my best to advocate for, for social issues for Muslims. I, I, I really went through so much um, hate and so much like verbal abuse after the election and after my involvement. I came back, I live in a conservative town. I came back to, you know, being in the front page of the paper for, for my involvement. I, this is, this is what I do and I live and I breathe. And yet it's still like, well, are you really Muslim enough because you're wearing shorts? Uh, I mean, it's, it's so inter interwoven into our communities. Like, even if you look at all of these, um, like, modest wear pages, like, try to find a girl that's over a size two. Literally try. I dare anyone. Because it's, it's so hard. Like, I remember um, before I, like, started losing weight and everything, I would look at, like, all these pages and wish that I could wear what they were posting. Like, wish I could wear their, the habayas that they had and wish I could fit into this, um, this like, skinny, dainty, hijabi narrative yeah. that has been so, like, projected onto the Muslim community. And that's just, like, not me. That's not what I look like. Um, and I always, like, it does something to your body image. You always feel like it's so uh, woven into Islam, which it shouldn't be. Right, absolutely. And, you know, just being a brown girl, going in to try to... I can't go into um, most stores. Let's say I went to Jackson Heights, New York, to buy, um, you know, lehenga to wear for a, a traditional South Asian, you know, event. I can't just go in and buy size because they're still not trying to cater to larger sizes. So I have to use these online stores that are making custom gowns because that's the only way that I'll be able to really have access to clothing in my size is really tough. Um, and so the communities that I belong to that are still have, that still haven't caught up to really including plus size women and including larger bodies, you know, that's definitely the South Asian community has definitely, um, been slow in this, in this movement. And then also just being a Muslim woman, I think that there is a narrative of, like you said, you know, the, the dainty slender woman that, um, we're supposed to aspire to be more like. Yeah. And, and especially like what Hadil was saying, like looking at all of these different modest fashion trends and wishing that like that value will fall on you the same way that it does on that model or, you know, it, that you can just like fit into that look. And it makes me wonder, like, is modesty size inclusive? Not at all. That same abaya, like on a, a larger or a curvier woman, it's going to look more when we're like curvier, it's going to be like, become more sexualized and oh like we can't walk into like a forever 21 and buy like the same baggy shirt that will look on us like it does on a girl that is that size too you know so it's like is modesty even like or our our contemporary definition of it like uh, in the muslim community is that even like size inclusive unless we're out here wearing garbage bags to be honest like i don't think our bodies will ever be (laughs) modest and even then someone's gonna be like oh i can see your ankles like it's never like you can never win right i used to wear the hijab and when i I was actually 
actually the first in my immediate family to wear the hijab after being inspired by my aunts and my cousins. And um, then I took the hijab. And then my mom actually started wearing because of me. And now she still wears the hijab. And it's, it's really cool to see how Allah makes things happen in our life and how it might inspire somebody else and how our journeys are all different, right? But what I meant to say was when I was wearing the hijab, it was always tougher for me because I had, you know, a bigger, you know, bosom. So <laughs> for me... Totally yeah, like my my hijab would have to end like practically above my belly button to really cover. <laughs> <laughs> like someone else yeah, thinner, yeah, and then someone else who was thinner who maybe wears a little bit more flat um, on the on the bosom area could have it like end right at her neckline and it look really cute and just be fine because it was and, and so that like the variation was always like I always felt like I had to um, and during my experience felt like it wasn't size inclusive and also the the lengths that I would have to go to really be to really to do it was different you know it, it varied and and I you know the reasoning that wasn't the reason why I took it off but it was definitely um I can I can definitely attest to the fact that it's a, a different experience being plus size and wearing the hijab yeah you have to either look like frumptastic or just lock yourself in your room and never come out or else people are going to be like oh like, look at how tight her clothes are. Look at what she's, like, wearing or whatever. Like, it's it's really a game that you can never, ever win if you're plus size. And I don't like that term like either. Skinny jeans on me, skinny jeans on someone thinner are completely different messages to people. Yes. Totally. For sure. And, like, for me, it always was this issue of going to great lengths to, like, literally, like, cover my ass. Like, my ass <laughs> was such an issue all the time. And you have a great ass, so though. So much emphasis on that, like, thank you. <laughs> but, like, so much, like, you know, being told that you have to, like, find ways to cover, and, like, yeah, the same shirt is not going to translate, like, on my body and, like, with, with like, my, like, what I, with my, what I got going on, you know what I mean? Right. Like, it kind of, like, conditions you to be ashamed of those parts of yourself because right. of the way that they are, like, overemphasized or they are, like, you know, this is, this is, you know, something that needs to be, like, covered up and you need to be more modest about it and stuff like that. Um, and, and I think that that's something that I spent a good amount of time, like, unworking myself and not being so... Because it reached a point where I was like, why am I becoming more conditioned to be, um, you know, so, so, uh, so intensely interested in how these jeans fit and whether they're, like, tight, like, tight enough or loose enough or whatever than, like, what kind of modesty I had going on inside of my heart, mm-hmm. you know? I think that that being plus-sized for, like, the entirety of my life was definitely part of that process and really, really defined the experience of when I did start to wear, to wear the headscarf and when I did, did start practicing more modesty in terms of, like, how I could actually do it. Right. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of people, when they question whether or not I'm Muslim enough based off of what I'm wearing, I think it, it, it ends up forgetting all of the, it ends up, you know, discrediting or discounting all of the internal aspects of what our faith is, you know, and how we practice our faith is something so inside of us. So um, I, it was something that's been really tough for me when people question my uh, whether or not I'm a Muslim or whether or not I should am a real Muslim and uh what yeah. like for me my faith has taught me to honor and respect my parents first mm-hmm. and foremost right you know it's first it's, it's a lot then it's my parents and honest to goodness through what I have done with my life and my career I've been able to retire my parents I've been able to take care of them they are they they are yeah alhamdulillah they are so they, are, they don't have a worry in the world because I've been able to, my husband and I have been able to take away any financial strain or burden from them. Um, and I, my younger sisters have been able to take care of them. Family is a huge part. Honoring our parents is a huge part of, of being and practicing our faith. And to me, I would rather I would rather live and walk in this and, and know that internally I everything I do is because I love God and I love my parents. I would rather that... Then, then visually please everyone, but then maybe not be a nice person or maybe not care about my parents or maybe not, you know, and so for me, this is just my walk, you know, mm-hmm. and it's different. Nabella, I remember one time you posted this uh, room makeover that you did from your, for your parents a little while ago, and I remember yeah. literally just wanting to cry because that is such goals. Like I want, that is everything that I want. I think people forget 
the the internal part of Islam, the internal part of um, yes. taking the steps to becoming a better Muslim, like treating your parents well, doing like having these goals, and everyone gets caught up in the look of what a Muslim is supposed to be. Right. And my mom always had this quote, right, in our house, um, hanging everywhere, and it was like, I'm going to probably butcher it, but it's like, uh, it's, I'm pretty sure it said, oh, Allah, please help me take care of my parents like they took care of me when I was a child. Something along yeah. that. And so, first, yeah. like, she would say it all the time in Arabic, you know, all around the house, she would just say it. Um, for her, in terms of her being a daughter, for my grandparents, and then I would just internalize that so much. It's like, this is what my faith is about, right? To me, like, this is what it's about. So then I grew up, and I was like, God, please help me take care of my parents so that they took care of me as a child. And now I'm able to do that. So that is the internal way that my faith has played out in my life. And it can vary for each person and what they really what they really value and, and, and how that comes to life for them. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. I know, literally trying not, just like trying so hard not to cry right now. <laughs> Crying oh on the God. first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to be this kind How? of daughter right now. Yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> it took a long time, girl. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I can How imagine. Did, How did all of that faith, So if I can do that, 
then I'm doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Aw. I mean, I think that we can all attest that you're doing a pretty damn good job. Yeah, so. you're doing an amazing job right now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. When you started off that that sentence with, like, an old 53-year-old white man, I was like, oh, my God, is this going to lead into, like, someone asking for feet pics? But I'm glad it took, like, a different turn. Oh, my gosh, that is so Yeah, right? Yeah, I have 53-year-old white men in my DMs for totally different reasons. That's another story. What reasons, Amani? I want to know. I I think I'm overly optimistic in that I have so much hate mail. Every single day I get online being told – that I'm, you know, I, 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 if I've been getting so many messages for so long. If I look like you, I'd kill myself. You know, you're, you're so fat. Wow. You're a waste of space. You know, like, um, your dad got cancer because you're fat. Oh my you know God. I mean? Like all of wow. the, I, the problem is not the problem. The thing is, is that I become, I don't want to say immune to it because no one should become immune to the abuse that they're receiving. What I, what I think is, important is that I have not let that take over my mind, my soul, and my spirit, and also not let it overpower all the good that I've been getting in my life and all the blessings that Allah's given me. But it is true. Every single day, countless messages. I mean, my my own family, they're like, how do you how do you deal with this? They'll see me circulate on Facebook if someone reposts my stuff. Well, I can't, that's not my audience. So naturally, it's a little bit more raw and unfiltered. So there's a lot of horrible comments about me. Mm-hmm. A lot of people saying that I look like a beast or I look like this or I, you know, I'm, oh I'm hideous or I'm sad or how could anybody love me or how my husband must not be with me for the right reasons because of how I look. My, my husband must all of these things that I deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I get so many messages from Muslim sisters saying your your husband must be cheating on you. There's no way. He's oh my God. Yeah. That's so There's disgusting. Like, oh wow. That's so disgusting. So, yeah. They're so committed to what they've learned about people. People just have a lot of like, people are just sad. Like, that mm-hmm. is a lot of unhappiness to be able yeah, to pose that. Mean, right. Imagine me carrying that on me all the time. I just can't. Like, I, yeah. have, I have to think about, I have to think about what's going that's going well. Because if I think about how often I'm verbally abused and attacked online, I wouldn't be able to go back online. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's so much. It can, some days, it, it does make me just not want to post or makes me, you know, just feel like so overwhelmed and consumed by all this negativity being thrown my way for just living my life and not being you know not being sorry for it um but now like you said it's literally you're you've become like the object of their projection so it's like you are getting it from like every angle what do you do in those moments like when it does get really hard and and dark and people are projecting that negativity onto you like how do you get through that um, I definitely, I've, I've been a little bit more quiet in those times. Like, initially, I would tell my family and my friends, and I would kind of cry about it. And it kind of gets old because it's so often. It's every single day, right? Every single day you're logging wow. in. And someone's telling you that you're, you know, a, a hideous person, that you're fat, that you're all those things, um, that they'd literally kill themselves if they look like me. So when you're getting that on a daily basis, Constantly then telling that to my family and friends who are also just witnessing it by seeing comments that I get, although they're not in my DMs or all those other, um, like, streams of being able to get messages. Whatever they do see is enough for them, I think, that I'm just, I think I got to a point where I just kind of figure it out internally, shake it off, remind myself of my worth and my purpose, and then I keep it pushing. But I got to tell you, some days are harder than others. Some days are more emotional than others. Some days I'm physically just unable to bear it. And then I have to give myself a mental health day. I have to give my... It's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy um, putting yourself out there every single day with a bold approach to life and people that are willing to that approach. It's not easy. It's like you said, people are threatened and they're afraid of someone loving themselves and someone being confident, especially someone with so many um, intersection, intersecting identities um, and someone that belongs to so many of these communities. So like the hate, it just comes from such a deep, dark place in these people. And I honestly feel bad for them. 
Yeah, and it's honestly, happy people do not say hurtful things, right? Mm. If you're happy in your life, if you're genuinely loving your life, you're not going to waste your time berating someone on the internet. So that also has to, that's something for me mentally that I've had to remind myself is, this person is A, projecting all of what they've learned onto me and what they believe onto me. But on the other side is that they're clearly not happy. You cannot, those two cannot coexist, being happy and being bitter. It's just not a thing. So therefore, I have to understand that where they're at in their life is giving them the time to write sort of co- those sorts of comments, and it's also giving them the the need to write those sorts of comments. So I'm thankful in those moments that I'm not at that place where I would have to do such a thing. Yeah, I'm so curious. Does Seth, your husband, ever get any of this? Like, do people go over to his page and like say hurtful yeah. things? Yeah, especially during the election time, it was a lot of that as well because people were just coming at us in full force and now people do come at us in um a more personal level it really hurts um, what were they saying back then or now like well, back, during the election yeah during the election it was just a lot of like you're with a muslim terrorist like how oh dare God. you you know people were just like you know when it's a white man immediately the assumption is that like he's like a traitor right um but in reality they had no idea like my husband and I are so aligned in in how we view life, and we're both Muslim, we're both proud, and so, like, people just immediately associated us being together as, like, him, uh, just like, before I say them, you know, in their eyes, so many comments of, like, she's an awful terrorist, this and this and that, like, you know, she needs to be beheaded, all these sorts of things. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. uh, to go back to where she came from, blah, 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 so much stuff. And so then we um, we went, we got through that. Once you get through something like that. Did where, you get any hate? Did, okay. did you get any hate for being with a white man? Um, yeah, I think even now, to this day, I think people think that, like, I have, I, I think people have their own thoughts about me being with a white man. And they also have their own thoughts about you know, him being a Muslim and, you know, for the longest time it was, is he a Muslim, is he a Muslim? And we just were like, that's our own business. But, you know, finally we were like, yeah, of course, like, of course we're both Muslim and we're both uh, proud in our faith and we have a unique, you know, spiritual journey together. Um, But now the the narrative, I think, has shifted to, I can't believe you made him convert to be a Muslim. Oh my God. that people think that you converted him like <laughs> like you're out here converting people randomly like let me know what the magic words are to get <laughs> exactly they, they place their own experiences and maybe what they've, they've seen or whatever when when two people from different uh cultures and backgrounds come together maybe that's what they've seen but in terms of us it's been something that we both are just very aligned in how we approach our faith and i think that the way that I look at faith is completely different than maybe the next person. I think I said that a million times, but it's just because I really believe it. I really mm-hmm. do. I really do have a fluid understanding of, of what spirituality is. And I'm proud to be a Muslim, but I'm also so happy to connect with someone. I can sit there and talk about how much I love God with a Christian. I don't, I don't find it to be something that is, I don't like to be dividing my, or segregating myself. I like to find ways to connect with people. Mm-hmm. That's really beautiful. I love that so much. I think that's something that needs to be um, integrated more into the Muslim community because everyone gets caught up in like the worst parts of humanity. Do you have any tips for me on how I can convert a man for myself as well? Yeah. Because <laughs> these Muslim men out yeah. here on Minder. Yeah. I, <laughs> unless you convert. Like what is, you know, that's the sad thing is that that's even a, like the thing, you know, but 
Yeah, no. I uh, we just make sure that you guys have a aligned perspective on on faith. For sure. Does Seth have any friends, brothers, you know, anything? Just let me know. Listen, Hit us both up. Listen, you're going to be on a wait list. I mean, people, people definitely love Seth. Like, it's funny because, like, when Nick and Priyanka got married, they were, like, calling, you know, Nick um, in India, like, their Jiju, um, which is, like, their brother-in-law. And it's mm-hmm. funny because I feel like Seth's, like, the internet brother-in-law. Yes. Um, <laughs> because he's definitely very loved by my audience and they, they love him as their own and another thing that I think is so special is he's an only child he came from a small family if you ever watched my big fat Greek wedding that's literally our life he is the the male character and I oh my god <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's so, so cute. cool and it's literally our life we literally met at our family restaurant the same way Tula and Ian did like it's so he's just a sweetheart. That's so cute. I think everyone loves Seth because he's just like so pure. Like, he, I don't know. He's so lovable. Oh, so and my, like, he will walk into the house. He's the first person to say, I smell like a mambu. I smell like a mambu. To my parents, like, you know, he's all, whenever something, someone says something, he goes, Yeah, inshallah. Like, anytime, like, someone's talking about, like, Yeah, I hope I do this or I hope I do that, he's like, Inshallah, inshallah. Or whenever something happens, like, he's the first person to be like, Mashallah. Like, that is my husband. But the thing is, is he's also very quiet. So online, you might not realize that my husband is just the most faith-filled, loving person that has taught me more about remembering to praise God in moments that are celebration, to praise God in moments of, of hope. Uh-huh. You know? Like, that's pretty exciting. So I'm very thankful. I love that so much. I feel that so single really right beautiful. now, but I love it so much. <gasps> <laughs> Oh, I love that. I mean, it sounds like literally every angle of your life you've really risen to with like so much, so much courage. Honestly, like you got some big ovaries, girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that like translates into so many different things. You know, from your career to your love life to like your personal life and all of that stuff. And like, wh- and and you know, you said so much about how it is so just like beautifully recharged by your faith and one of the questions I get all the time from my followers you know a lot of a lot of women who identify as being Muslim and who are obviously like really tapped into these conversations and stuff like that um who are are interested in like taking risks themselves and are interested in you know starting that Instagram page or starting that like new project or you know just like throwing throwing their kite to the wind and seeing what happens. But a lot of times they're just really scared to. Uh, you know, one of the most common questions I get, uh, you know, is how do I start? And a lot of times, like, even when you give an answer where it's like you just start, <laughs> really, like, you have to, like, start from somewhere. Um, it just, it's, a, a lot of times the response is like, no, but I can't because, like, you know, I have to take care of this person and, and I need to make sure this is secure and, like, that is taken care of and, and I need to be at this level with my work before I do anything and blah, 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 and, like, all these different reasons um, and kind of, like, fears, I guess, uh, I would say, like, fears. Um, and I'm just wondering if you had any advice, like, how how you started, like, not not only with, like, your Instagram and, and your career, but also with just all these other aspects in your life. How do you rise to meet the occasion? Right. Well... First and foremost, we have to stop putting so much pressure on ourselves, especially in entering this new space of entertainment. There's a lot of pressure we're putting on ourselves to make it, to succeed, to hit the follower count, blah, blah, blah. First thing we have to do is to just start. When I was doing it, um, when I first started, I was uh, in college and I graduated from my college and then I started work. So I was doing, I was in the field of behavioral therapy. So I was doing that for a while, full-time, and then I was just doing YouTube as, as fun on the side. And then when it became something substantial and, and it became something that could enable me to to leave my full-time job, my career, um, I did. Um, but I didn't I didn't bank on it. I just worked on it, you know? Mm-hmm. I, put my, I put my love into it, and I did it because I enjoyed it. And when you enjoy something and you genuinely like to create something and, it, and you're good at it, it will, it will form, and if it's meant for you, it will form into something that can hopefully provide for you. And that's what happened with me. I did not leave my career until I was able to 
make enough money doing this full time. And then I took that leap of faith and now it's been a few years and I'm still doing it. And Alhamdulillah, I'm so happy. But my, my suggestion is, is to keep doing what you're doing and then try and nurture this garden on the side, you know, like keep working towards your goals that you may have. If you're in, if you're a doctor, if you're trying to go to be a lawyer or you need to take care of your family, I had all those obligations too. I, I could have quit college, not gone into my career path and just dove into the Instagram stuff and the YouTube stuff. But I'm a first generation American. I was going to be the first one to graduate with a bachelor's degree. I had so much pressure. I needed to get that degree. Right. And I got mm-hmm. it and I don't regret it one bit. And I'm, I got the degree and now, and then I worked in the career path and that was what I did because I understand those pressures to, to meet our family's expectations and to make whatever their commitments were to us worth it. Right. Coming to this country, my mom and my dad came to this country with nothing. I could not in my right mind, not get my degree. I had to do it. That was so I understand the pressure. I understand someone that decides that they don't want to continue and they just go full force for their dreams. But whatever it is, the ways that we can always find what's meant for us in whatever way we find it to be comfortable. So for me, I could not leave my like college and my career until I could still provide for myself and my family. And now I am. But I think that they should just take away the pressure of like we need to like get this many followers or I need to have this equipment or I need to have that or oh my gosh my parents are expecting so much from you well then do what you need to do but then do that on the side you know do make a video every Saturday when you have off you know when you have like classes on Tuesdays in between make a little Instagram post like do what you need to do while you're still being the best you possible and hopefully it'll all work out I firmly believe that what's meant for you will always come to you and what's yours is yours so if you're meant to do Instagram or YouTube or whatever it's it's yours so just go for it but also don't feel like you need to compromise it's not an all-or-nothing situation Mm-hmm. that's that such good advice I think that's like something that a lot of people need to hear because everyone thinks that they just need to dive into something and then have those followers go up and that's um that's right. it it's like listen we are all like being a woman of color being a being a brown girl my experience is totally different from maybe somebody else who might come from a little more privileged I have I'm carrying and a lot of brown girls a lot of um first generation Americans are carrying the responsibility of making their parents migration worth it right mm-hmm. so it's mm, we don't so have, true. Yeah. We don't have the luxury of being able to say, yeah, you know what, Dad, Mom, I know like you guys saved up for my college, and I just, I just want to go and, and pursue, you know, X, Y, and Z. I get that because that was me. I couldn't do that. I knew what my parents did for me, and I knew what I needed to do for them. Um, to do, and and maybe there's a maybe that's a problem to some people, but for me, I understood it. I understood the complexity of it, and I understood that I had to get this degree to make my parents feel like it was worth it for them and that was okay for me I did it and I get that it's so much more complex than just being like you know what I'm just gonna go for it I get the the way the reason why that might not be the case for so many people because we have so much people relying on us beyond just ourselves yeah I'm so glad that um that your following has such a good role model to look up to because this is like such um such an important narrative and such important representation that we have going out there. Oh my God. I have one last question yeah, um, no. that I want to kind of like wrap this whole conversation on just because your story is just so beautiful and inspiring and it's so cool because I feel like you have so many followers that see the outside like end product but don't always get to see all this beautiful, the beautiful story that's behind it and the faith and the love um, and it kind of brought me to this question. Has there been a moment in your life that showed to you that everything happens for a reason? Oh, my God. That could have been the whole podcast, girl. Okay. <laughs> I'll make it short. <laughs> I will make this very short, but there have been multiple times where God has shown me um, that everything happens for a reason and that what's meant for me is mine. I had applied to go to American University. My parents, being first, being a first-generation American, being, them being immigrant parents, they did not have a college fund for me. They didn't, they, like, you know, they, 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 were, they weren't starting a, a college. They were 
like 22 of me having a college account like that's just not what my personal experience was so naturally um I got into American University my dream school got into their honors program I thought this is it I'm going to be able to work for the UN my dream will come true I'm so excited my dream was to work for the UN and I was so excited I did what I needed to do I skipped a grade in high school I did what I had to do to make my parents uber proud well I got in, but I couldn't afford to attend fully because my scholarship could not cover the full uh, tuition and room and board. And I was so gutted. I was like, God, I did everything I was supposed to do. I got in. I got into the honors program. I skipped a grade. Like, I'm making my parents proud. Why isn't this happening? I want to work with the UN. And I was so devastated when I had to call, you know, um, the office at the at American University and told them I couldn't attend because I couldn't afford it. Um, and I remember being like, why, 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 why? I went to Penn State. I eventually got my degree, got my career in, um, did my career for a little bit, and then got found YouTube and Instagram. And then I landed at the UN office last year. And I'm sitting there at the UN office telling them how my dream was to work with the UN and how I couldn't believe I was sitting there preparing to speak. And then they were like, well you will be able to do more for the UN, with the UN, with how your platform is now than you might have been able to had you gotten a, a job here. And wow. that was, for me, everything coming full circle. And, like, I thought I wanted X, Y, and Z this way. But what I didn't realize was when I didn't get it, it's because, you know, Allah had a better plan for me. He had a bigger one for me. He's, he essentially, in my eyes, says... You know, no, I don't want you to work with the UN in this capacity. I'm going to give you a voice, and I'm going to have you work with the UN in this capacity. And that is, to me, like a, an example that we might not get what we want when we want it, but that doesn't mean that we won't get something even better when God sees it's right for us, you know? And in so many ways that's happened to me in my life where I haven't gotten what I thought I deserved, what I thought I wanted, but then somehow... You know, a lot surprised me with something bigger and better um, that exceeded my expectations. And I have so many more instances of that happening to me. And it's always been a reminder that, like, what I what I think I want is not even, it doesn't even scratch the surface for what God wants for me. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful note to end off of. Like, if everyone's just collectively, collectively crying right now, like, same. Because <laughs> I'm so overwhelmed. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much, guys. This was so fun. Yes, thank you so much, Nabella, for coming on and for sharing your experiences. That was incredible. We we love you. MuslimGirl.com loves you. And we just so appreciate you being part of this conversation because um, we definitely learned a thing or two from you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I have something really fun coming up. Um, I'm launching something amazing in this month of March. So uh, I hope that you guys stay tuned. Yes. And I hope it's something that... Woo! Can you give us any teasers? Um, any teasers? Let's just say that everything that I'm passionate about and I advocate for will have a bigger platform to really live and shine, and I'm really excited about it. Yes, can't wait. Yay. Thank you guys so much. Oh, you heard it. Keep an eye out on Nabella because she's definitely one to watch. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I love you both so much and appreciate it. And that is a wrap on our very first episode. If you want to find out where to follow Nabella or Muslim Girl or Amani or me, please follow me. I need the clout and the followers. <laughs> you can find all that information in the description box down below. Thank you so much again for tuning into the podcast where Muslim women talk back. I will see you guys in the next one. Wallah, that is a promise. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be saying wallah a lot over the course of this. Okay, thanks so much. Bye.